are entering the Freedom Hut. Former FBI Director James Comey seems to have some very selective amnesia, and oh, turns out he's a wildly anti-Trump partisan. We knew that, but we got details. Plus, can the government take your house if you underpay your taxes for $8? Got answers to that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I hope Donald Trump is not removed from office by impeachment because it would let the country off the hook and it would drive into the fabric of our nation a third of the people believing there was a coup. And we need a moment of inflection where we all get off the couch and say that is not who we are and in a landslide rid ourselves of this attack on our values. And if we in a way short circuited that with an important legitimate process through the Constitution, I worry that we wouldn't, we'd be letting ourselves off the hook in a way, and we wouldn't have the moment of clarity that we need in this country. That said, if the facts are there and the legislative two houses of Congress think it's appropriate, that's fine. Someone please make the Sanctacomi stop. I don't know how much more of that I could handle. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to be back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. I know I was I was out. I fell very ill last week, but I am back in action. And man, I I missed you guys. This is the most fun part, most worthwhile part of my day every day. And um, I would only take days off when I absolutely have to for either need, uh, you know, the needs of uh, vacation or health. In this case, it was health. Let's get to Comey right away here. So I read the Comey transcript over the weekend because that's the kind of fun party animal that I am hanging out, rocking out, listening to some Kenny G, reading some Comey transcripts, you know, as one does. And I'm reading the Comey stuff, and and then this speech or a forum, whatever it is, he sits down at the 92nd Street Y in New York and has this sit-down talk. And you get these moments of pure, unadulterated Comeyism that we should all remember. And now that we see who this guy is, now that we have an understanding of who this FBI director really was and the role that he played in the anti-Trump cabal at the FBI. You got to reevaluate everything that we had heard from beforehand, everything we saw originally about Russia collusion and Comey's firing. This guy is a hack and a loon. Maybe he has been mentally and emotionally broken by Trump the way so many others who I had even in some cases previously respected and thought were intelligent But many of them have been broken by Trump and by Trumpism. So that could be the case with him. Although I I think that what we've seen is that Comey all along has been a Comeyist first and foremost. He's been most concerned with himself and with the institutions, notably the FBI and the Department of Justice, that he ties himself to. But you got a really interesting view of how this man sees himself there and and how he plays the game. Because he's definitely somebody that is executing on a public relations strategy here. You know this. He's the one who leaked information to somebody so that it could get into the New York Times to damage Trump. He takes all this very personally. Comey's a very large ego, all six foot 11 of him. And he says in that one 
little soundbite we played for you that he's really hoping they don't impeach the president because we need to cut because people would think it's a coup yeah maybe because it really is a soft coup in a sense he's gaslighting the american people here by saying well if if they were to go forward with impeachment and then removal which is never it's never going to happen the senate's never going to remove trump and this is all that's all just happy horse you know what um but even if it just goes through impeachment. He wants to say, oh, well, they're going to say it's because of a deep state. They're going to say it's a soft coup, so it shouldn't happen. Well, the reason we're going to say that's because it is. Because that's what we've seen. That's what the evidence shows. That there has been a very obvious now, ongoing, longstanding plot, a collusion, if you will, between the establishment elites... Democrat Party, DNC, Hillary, senior officials of the DOJ, Sally Yates, Brennan, these, these left-wing partisans you know, from the boomer generation who have bought into all the progressive claptrap about how important they are and how, how wonderful they are for the future of the country and everything else. We've seen what they've done. We don't have even a full accounting of it yet, but we know that they stacked the deck against Trump. We know that they tried to take him down from the inside. And now you get to you get to have Comey out there lecturing us on how well we we don't want we don't want the president to be impeached because then people might think, I don't know where they'd get this idea, that there was almost some group of senior government officials working to protect Hillary and destroy Trump. Isn't that crazy? Gaslighting. He is gaslighting you. Those who don't know what that is, it's be like if you know, if I hit you and then and then five seconds later I say, I didn't hit you. And you say, yeah, you did. That's gaslighting you. And that's what Comey's doing. But part of a deep state cabal. And now, what do you mean? I mean, we can't have them. We can't have removal from office because the people would think there's a deep state cabal. Oh, I wonder why they'd think that. And then play clip four. I can't see the, what the end of the Mueller effort looks like. I don't know what form it will take. I don't know what they'll conclude. And so I can't say in that respect. I can tell you that all of us should use every breath we have to make sure that the lying stops on January 20th, 2021. I understand any of the Democrats have important debates to have about who their candidate should be. They have to win. Yeah. They have to win. Democrats have to win. Now, the, the, but Comey's not a partisan, you see. That's what they'll tell you. Oh, a lifelong Republican. It's not even true. And by the way, there are Republicans that hate Trump more than anybody else. In fact, there are a lot of Republicans who know that if they switch parties officially, then they'll just be the opposition. So they'd rather keep that Republican, you know, the Jennifer Rubin maneuver over at the Washington Post. Keep calling yourself a Republican so then you have more credibility when you bash Republicans all the time. So that's a stupid talking point that they use, but they use it because... People buy it because they got other things they got to think about. Fortunately, I just have this to think about all day. But Comey is a hyperpartisan, which then makes us naturally think: When did he become so anti-Trump? When did he become this this left-wing pro-elite and therefore pro-Hillary actor on the stage here? And what about all the decisions that were made? What about the decision? Not to prosecute Hillary, which Comey violated department policy in doing that whole press conference. I mean, there's clearly stuff that he's done where Comey has erred. 
No matter who you are, you have to admit it. I mean, he got the guy was going rogue, but he went rogue for the right side. That's why they they try to downplay it and say it's not really that big a deal. But it is a very big deal. And why is it that we are told, for example, that Whitaker, who is the acting attorney general, is someone who is cannot be trusted because of his pro-Trump sympathies? But those same people, so he he is not an ethical person, an ethical uh, an ethical individual at the DOJ, according to the left. I mean, I'm not saying I buy this, but this is what they'll tell you. And with the media, the left, the media, it's interchangeable. And then they will also say, well, the Department of Justice didn't file charges against Hillary Clinton. So, you know, that's the end of that. No discussion to be had there. The Department of Justice didn't want to pursue the Clinton Foundation, even though there are whistleblowers came out last week who have the evidence. They got the goods. Clinton Foundation, a lot of corruption and self-dealing and nonsense going on there. At a charity? Yeah, at a charity, but it involved the Clintons. What a surprise. But we're supposed to believe that Loretta Lynch and Sally Yates and James Comey, the people who were making the key decisions about both the Hillary investigations that should have been ongoing, email, Clinton Foundation, you know, just go through them, Uranium One, all of that. The people that are making the decisions about that and also behind the scenes pushing this whole Russia collusion fantasy we're supposed to trust those people that they were making decisions in good faith then? They've only become partisan now or now that they've left government. We know what they are, but they weren't that then. This this defies logic. This is not credible. Just as Comey's, I don't know, not sure, don't remember. Comey was in front of Congress last week. They released the full transcript of it. I read through it. And you know what Comey does to avoid perjury charges? I mean, first of all, he's so smug and sanctimonious. I, I don't know how people ever worked for this guy and dealt with this guy. I really don't. I, I don't know. Uh, but every time he gets asked a question, it's, well, to the extent of my knowledge in the situation, I have no knowledge of that situation. So that he could a- avoid answering questions and avoid a- avoid a real perjury trap by just always claiming that he doesn't remember. You know, And I would note that the DOJ, in fact, Comey's uh, close buddy, Fitzgerald, went after Scooter Libby for not remembering something properly. They tried to ruin his life over it. So, you know, who gets the benefit of the doubt? Who gets treated in good faith by the Justice Department versus who gets crushed? You know, who gets the Mueller treatment? Everybody that comes in his path just gets gets chewed up and spat out. This is where the justice system is failing. This is where the real undermining of institutions is occurring. And it's where the Democrats have been running wild. And the anti-Trump left has exposed themselves in the most egregious ways. And they want us to just forget about this. They want us to, you know, look at look to some other explanation of these events. And they're, we're, I'm going to talk about the campaign finance issue with with Cohen coming up here in just a, a little bit. That's their big thing now. That's the big reveal. Oh, we've, we've got the president on conspiracy to commit a vague campaign finance violation that would probably be a civil penalty if it didn't avoid, uh, didn't involve Trump. And it's not a big deal anyway, but let's try to end his presidency over. These people are bonkers, Looney Tunes, insane, but unfortunately they have power and they're dedicated 
And they think they're taking down this president. Well, they're not going to do it on our watch without a fight. That's for sure. Uh, team, we got a lot more show coming. Great to be back and, and reasonably healthy and able to be with you in the Freedom Hut. So uh, stay with me. Are you concerned about your current email service, your privacy and protection? Then iPatriots.us is for you. It's a new conservative alternative to liberal-based email iPages.us email is secure and private. It's more of what you want without all of the liberal nonsense, ads, and spam. Your email files are safe because of its premium antivirus, anti-spam, 250-bit encryption. iPatriots.us won't sell your information or support left-wing agenda items like most of those other email providers out there. With iPatriots, you get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and much more. Works on any Windows or Mac computer and is compatible with most mobile devices. Go to iPatriots.us now. Find the membership level that's right for you at checkout and select your iPatriots email address. Enter promo code BUCK10 for 10% savings during your first whole year of membership. Again, iPatriots.us, promo code BUCK10 for 10% off. You know, the president has been very clear from when he ran for office that he wants to protect America's border and keep this country safe. And now more than ever, when you see the caravan, I know what Lindsey Graham was talking about. Uh, you've got thousands of people literally saying we're just going to storm your border and come into the country. And oh, by the way, we have at least 600 known convicted criminals as part of this caravan. These are people seeking asylum, by the way, Sandra. They were offered asylum and jobs in Mexico and turned it down. Uh, so let's not talk about asylum it's whether or not we're going to have rule of law in the country democrats are perpetuating a scam and a lie against the american people here at the border and i really hope the administration doesn't take its eye off the ball so to speak here i really hope that they follow through on this i i think though that that the indications right now are bad uh, i think that it looks like we're going to see a a continuing resolution or whatever the budgetary measure, it doesn't even really matter. You know, they're going to kick the can down the road. However they, whatever they call it, however they do it, they're going to fund the government. There's not going to be a shutdown. And it's because ultimately Democrats can't cave on this issue because their worst fear is that they allow for the, the robust construction of, or the construction of a robust wall. And it works. And we see a drop. And then not only will we realize that this is something we need to invest even more heavily in, we would see a change in the dynamic over the immigration discussion overall, over the illegal immigration discussion. And we'd know the Democrats have been lying to us and just repeating a stupid talking point for not just weeks, for years. For years they've been saying that a wall won't do anything. So they're desperate to prevent a wall from going up because if we can then see that it does something, what do they say then? You know, this is just like Democrats were saying, oh, the, you know, the caravan's a thousand miles away. Yeah, okay, it was a thousand miles away. Now it's at the border. Oh, I, I, as I've been saying, they, they have buses and trains and cars in Mexico. This should be a surprise to, to no one, but that's, that was something that they were saying and thought they were clever for saying it at the time, too. But the latest here, this is from earlier today, it's from the Washington Post, is that, is that Trump... Um, is is going to get offered $1.3 billion by Democratic leaders. Uh, $1.3 billion when they meet Tuesday at the uh, at the White House. I'm sorry. Yeah, when they meet Tuesday at the White House. And that's, because that's tomorrow. And that is short of the $5 billion Trump says he needs for a border wall. Um, Minority Leader Pelosi 
is saying that, if anything, that they could move further apart on this one. Here's what we're being told. Quote, Schumer had suggested Trump accept $1.6 billion in border funding, the funding level included in a Senate bill with bipartisan support. But that $1.6 billion would struggle to pass the House where Democrats won't support it because they say it's too much and Republicans say it's not enough. It would extend current funding levels. Uh, and if no deal is reached by the end of next week, funding will run out for Homeland Security and other federal agencies. Uh, they're not going to run out of money. Uh, and $5 billion for an issue that's important. I mean, when I mean they're not going to run out of money, I mean they're going to extend this. They're not going to shut down the government. We, we just don't have the, I don't know, we don't have the courage of our convictions on the right for some reason on this issue. I think it's because a lot of Republicans are, are really just big phonies on the issue. They're really just not honest with the with their voters and with the people that support them when election time comes about what they want to do at the border. Because, I mean, it's now or never for this thing, man. It, it better happen now or else it's not going to happen. And $5 billion for, given what our government spends and what it spends money on every year, $5 billion to protect our southern border is a drop in the bucket, man. This is, this is not, people who are pretending the expense is what's, you know, so haven't we spent like 40 or 50 million on the stupid Mueller probe? I know that's not 5 billion, but it's 40 or 50 million. I mean, think about the money that we spend on, that we're spending things on this government. And this is a really important issue. This is about security. This is about sovereignty. And I, I just wish, wish that the Republicans would, would, would fight, man. I mean, just get up, tell the American people why you're doing it. The media doesn't have the ability to just lie to us all like they used to anymore. Get up and fight on this issue and make your case. If you do that, I think that you'll see, you know, with the Schumer shutdown, Trump was able for the first time to get to a place where it seemed like there wasn't this built-in, baked-in assumption that anytime there's a shutdown, the president, uh, or the Republican rather, the Republican Party is to blame. Uh, I think they're going to cave on this. And every time I've told you in the past they're going to cave, I think I've been right. I just think they're going to cave. And, and this means the border issue continues on. And, and you know, we're, we're rolling the dice. If, if you get a large Democrat majority Congress with a Senate and a president, you know, going to Democrats in 2020, which is not far away, we're already, already starting to see people talk about their 2020 runs. Cory Booker, oh, yeah. I am Spartacus. Cory Booker was up in New Hampshire this past week. You're already seeing that cycle begin. If they get this in 2020, I'm telling you, they're the first thing they're going to go for is amnesty, and then and then it's all shit. Then the whole then the whole country uh, has a changed demo, demographic reality. That means the Democrats are a one party state effectively. Republicans will be in the minority, and Democrats will just write the laws they want to write, and they'll blame Republicans even though they don't have any power and. America is going to cease to be America. It's not a good thing. Let's go to this issue of impeachment. They are the kind of offenses uh, that would call for impeachment. Maybe grounds for impeachment. The prospect of impeachment. And this is, in fact, one of the reasons why you have the impeachment clause. Should the president be concerned about the talks of impeachment? If we're going to impeach Donald Trump. The drumbeats from Democrats for possible impeachment get louder. If House members find impeachable offenses, it is not just the right thing to do. It's their duty. The House is going to have little choice other than to start impeachment proceedings. Donald Trump will be, must be impeached. Wait, 
do they think that maybe Donald Trump should be impeached? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't. <laughs> what a bunch of clowns. Oh, man. We, we've known this. I know there's, there's nothing here that surprises you. There's nothing here that, you know, we, we, we listen to. We go, oh, wait a second. I thought, I thought they were going to wait for all the facts to come in. You know, what's more likely that I've known all along, that you've known all along, that they were going to find a pretext to impeach this president? Or they were just, you know, sitting on the sidelines, just trying to play it straight. And turns out that against their better judgment, uh, they really don't want to. They, they really wish they didn't have to, but they just have to impeach this president. They have no choice but to defend our democracy by impeaching the president for something, something or other, Russia, finance, a porn star. So, I mean, it just, it changes every week. This is just, an, this is an extension of the insanity of the, that the left has with how every week it's a different reason for why Trump can't be president. You know, it's the 25th Amendment, it's, it's the Emoluments Clause, it's Russia collusion, it's the the uh, sympathy for white nationalists. It's he's crazy. You know he's too unhealthy. He eats too many cheeseburgers. You know he's a he's a sexual abuser. I mean they every week there's a new terrible crime that they just oh we got to talk about this terrible crime Trump. You know either they're crazy or Trump is the is the most dangerous frightening human being to have ever walked the face of the earth. Um, it's door number one. They've they've lost it. They are playing into a mass delusion. And all you have to do is go back and and look at what they've been saying all along. All these different things. They they keep making these predictions. The predictions don't come true. They keep making claims. The claims are proven false. And, and there's such an obvious mobilization here of leftist journos to create a perception in the American people that Donald Trump needs to go. You know that Donald Trump is um, is a threat to the republic. I mean, I just sit here and I say to myself, you know, at, at what point do I have to take a deep breath? I mean, at least Maxine Waters, as as much of a of a loon as she is, at least she's like, yeah, impeachment. I mean, she's been saying impeachment all along. Maxine Waters is more honest on this issue than the rest of the Democrats. They're going to impeach. People are saying, oh, Pelosi's so wily and cagey. No, she's not going to be able to. Well, the, all of a sudden, the left is going to show emotional discipline? No way. No way. So, hey, props for Waters. She's crazy, but at least she's honest crazy. Play seven. I do believe that the Congress of the United States of America have not assumed their responsibility that's given to us by the Constitution of the United States by way of impeachment. This president, in my estimation, has done everything possible uh, to certainly uh, be eligible for impeachment. And so I really do think that it should be started. The president is a criminal. The president worked with Cohen, instructed him to go and pay these women uh, to be quiet, to shut them up. The president not was just simply complicit in all of this. He's the one who initiated this with his attorney. And so this criminal must be brought up by the Congress of the United States for impeachment. That's right. You have a sitting member of Congress just keeps referring to the president of the United States as a criminal. He he's a criminal. That's what she keeps saying. hasn't hasn't even had a charge brought against him. But there is this insistence 
that he's a criminal because the left really, really, really wants to believe that he is a criminal. And they are so invested in this that they're never, it's like climate change, that you, it is impossible to change their mind on the issue because it would mean changing their mind about how they feel about themselves, changing their mind about how they feel about their own intelligence, their own ability to grasp facts and come to conclusions. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But let me tell you how I view this, because I'm hearing a lot of people, and I think this is all kind of a head fake. I'm hearing people that, including some conservatives that I know in, in media and, and outside of media, are saying that Pelosi won't allow, she'll keep her members in line, she won't allow the Democrats to go forward with impeachment because all it'll do is uh, push Trump supporters deeper into the bunker for him. And and that's true. I mean, I, I think it will... The same way that we had a little bit of a consolidation occur with Kavanaugh, all that was including even never Trump conservatives. I mean, they, you know, Kavanaugh was a very binary issue. You know, you either believed in decency, uh, the presumption of innocence, rule of law and justice, or you didn't. And you know, if you're a Democrat, you pretty much didn't. But, you know, you, you see what's going to happen in the in this whole election process. I, I think it's pretty clear that Democrats want to run against an impeached president. They, want, they know they've got the votes. They're going to do it. They impeach him. And then whoever the Democrat standard bearer is gets to run against somebody. Remember, you know, Bill Clinton wasn't running again as an impeached president, right? You know, they're going to, they're going to impeach this president and then use that as a primary talking point for why, you know, he shouldn't, he shouldn't win re-election. And, and then they're going to try to even further use that designation. This is what liberals do. They name and shame, right? They, they, attach, they attach one word, if they can, to somebody. You know, they'll attach, uh, you know, racist, rapist, uh, fraud, liar. I mean, you know, they try to just bash people with a single word to define everything about them. Many, many, many cases completely unfairly, right? You know, Kavanaugh, they were saying, was a rapist. That's a lie. These people are liars. They're crazy. One of the most, I'll tell you, one of the most, there are a few things on the show I'm very proud of that we've done together. Uh, one of them is, is the constant stand for life. And you know why I feel that way, because even if, if we've saved one, if one woman changed her mind because she listened to this show, it makes every single show I've ever done worthwhile. So there's that issue. Uh, and then the other thing, I, I'm very proud that we we never wavered and, you know, producer Mike had my back on this one and, and DJ John and the whole crew and, and all of you, we did not waver on Kavanaugh. And it got it got tough for a while there, meaning that the pressure was overwhelming and the left was assuming that they were going to be able to just sh- just shame and, and terrify people into into agreeing with them on this whole thing. And we stood strong there. And I'm very proud of that. But that's what impeachment becomes. I and mean, this is what makes me think that impeachment becomes how could you. To anybody who's an independent, to anybody who was a swing voter, how could you vote for this impeached president? Oh, he's a criminal. He's so dirty. He's such a bad man, such a bad guy. And they think that that will have, that will have sufficient resonance. You know, remember, the, the left is all about slogans and chants and the mobilization of emotions for political ends. Trump is better on the economy than Obama. Trump is better at foreign policy than Obama. I mean, you know, you look at, you line these things up, you line up these administrations, you say to yourself, well, on the merits, yeah, is Trump a little, has he disappointed me so far with some things? Yeah, it's the whole talk we're going to have to have here on the show at some point. But overall, I mean, compared to Obama, and when you add the judges 
into the mix and his picks on the Supreme Court. I mean, it's just it's no comparison as far as I'm concerned. So what are they going to do for swing voters? Say, forget about his record. Forget about the economy. He was impeached because he's a criminal. And that then just becomes the whole 2020 campaign for whoever the Democrat nominee is. I do want to note to you, you and I uh, talk about business all the time. That's a major position. And the six people that they have put out that are shortlisted are all white guys. I cannot think of one single public company right now that if they had an open senior position like that or a board seat, you would never in 2018 see that the shortlist is one, two, three, four, five, six white guys. That right, even just, if you're not going to pick the, somebody else. Correct. Usually correct. put them on the list. Just but, for, but that isn't, isn't that stunning that the White House has no problem. Yep, these are our six. If you saw a public company put out that list right now, they would get clobbered. A lot of interesting stuff thrown in there. That was from uh, MSNBC host Stephanie Rulla. She's talking about the White House chief of staff opening right now because, as you know, John Kelly, General Kelly, is uh, stepping down. I saw today they're offering him, for a tell-all memoir, $15 million. That was in the Daily Mail. I I don't think he's going to. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, that's, that's I don't Kelly doesn't strike me as a tell-all guy at all. So I doubt. But that's a lot of money for a book. Fifteen million dollars up front and advance, folks. Fifteen million. If he writes a tell-all, um, he won't do it though. He's uh, the guy's got I the guy's got too much honor. I think he's I think he's you know ticked off at Trump. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there's any love loss between those two at this point. But he just has too much respect for the office. Too much respect for the presidency to, to profit in that way, in a way that would very obviously uh, damage the administration, make things more difficult, slow it down. But th- what was so interesting to me about that exchange on MSNBC is you have this, you know, obviously very self-righteous, lib female host who is saying, you know, isn't it so terrible that they're considering six white guys for the chief of staff role? And the guest, I don't know who the guest is, the guest is like, yeah, even if they're only going to pick a white guy, they should at least pretend like they won't. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, I'm glad that we're now at a place where we prefer, you know, in, in this in this culture that is now obsessed with the appearance of diversity. I mean, not not true diversity of experience, of background, of uh, of class, you know, no, no, the, the, the appearance, the skin deep appearance of diversity in, in all senses Um that we, we have a society where where people would prefer that they go through the pretense of being open to you know other people uh you know than than white males for the role that they, they, even if they already know they're gonna hire they gotta pretend like they're gonna hire somebody who's a minority or a female that that's preferable I'm like why is that why is that window dressing a preferable you know it's just an it's just an interesting thing for me I just I'm pointing that one out. Uh, but you know the the real problem here, and this is an issue, and this is something that the the libs and the left have been very effective, um, you know, at, at doing. The real problem is that the uh, jobs in the White House, usually White House jobs, are such fiercely contested positions. You know, you had this guy Nick Ayers who was thought that he was going to be the next chief of staff, and he's not taken. In fact, he's leaving the White House altogether. And people are burning out, and that's one part of it, and that's normal. There's high turnover. There's the pretty high turnover for chiefs of staff in the Obama administration. I mean, this is just the way it is. But you got to think about it this way. The value proposition now 
to join the Trump administration. It is real public service to do it now. For anybody with a high profile and a successful life on the outside, because one, you're going to be entering a very media hostile or rather a hostile media encircled uh, White House and administration. So you're going to be under siege from day one from the media. And you risk reprisals against you. Never mind. You, you know, usually you come out of the White House, you're supposed to get all kinds of plum job offers. You're supposed to get, oh, you're going to be on this board and that board, or you're going to be on this TV show as a contributor, or, you know, all these things, right? I mean, you look at the Obama administration. I mean, the jobs that people got from the Obama administration, Jay Carney's like running content at, at Amazon. You look at the Obama administration people, I mean, they have just gotten incredible gigs. You know, HBO is like throwing money and access at the Pod Save, the Pod Save America kids. I mean, you know, these people all, oh, oh, you're trying to the Obama administration? What can we do to, to elevate you and pay you more money? And, you know, even if you stink, by the way, even if you're not even good. And with the Trump administration, what you have is the, the opposite effect where if you go and you work for this administration now, you come out on the outside. Not only are the jobs not there for you, there are people that might decide they don't want to do business with you anymore. And they might not even be never Trumpers themselves or hashtag resistance themselves. They just don't want the heat. So, and, and then it becomes this self-reinforcing cycle of, is it a vicious cycle? Of because they can't get the kind of people as quickly as they want for some of these roles, then, you know, the media tells this story of people don't want to work for the administration, which then perpetuates a story of how they can't get the people they want, right? I also, I'm just going to say this right now, I, I find it, I find it so obvious and so odious that journalists, you know, they always do this thing of people that are in the media that work for Republican administrations are all unqualified. Meanwhile, you know, when Jay Carney was made press secretary and now is running content, you know, we look at these different people that... There were dozens of journalists that went in the Obama administration at all different levels. None of them were talked about as unqualified. So journalists have no, there's no respect that they confer to just their fellow journalists. It's to their fellow libs. Their fellow libs. Those are the ones that they're willing to, you know, go to go to bat for and protect and say, oh, this person's so great. And I just, I saw this with Heather Nauert, who, look, I, I think is great. I thought she was a star at Fox. She was always delightful to work with. She's very smart. She's done a very good job as press secretary at the United Nations. And people are saying she's not qualified to be U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. I say, why? But she, she can't handle You think Samantha Power so qualified? Some crazy kook, PhD, wandering around talking about policy all the time that doesn't actually work? You think you think Samantha Power is 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 some you know some great you think Susan Rice was some brilliant foreign policy model? Look at the job she had, but they trash and look they do it in part also because she fits this mold. The the left hates that on the right there are there are and I, I can't tell you why it is I don't know what the reason is there are a number of very prominent competent very beautiful. I don't know if we're, we're like not allowed to say that anymore. Oh, I get in trouble. Very beautiful women who go on to have gone on to other prominent roles in this administration and, and just, you know, government work in general. And the left has a particular disdain 
for the beautiful, conservative, successful, intelligent female in politics. They really don't like that. That just, that sends all the wrong messages as far as the left is concerned. So, you know, they went after Heather Nauert a little bit. I'm sitting here, I'm like, she's a great pick. She's going to do a great job. And it's just so typical that all these snide, smug little journos start saying, oh, she's not well, like Max Boot was one of them. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher since 1917. You can order with complete confidence. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an amazing limited time offer to my listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com, enter promo code BUCK in the search bar, you get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package, which is originally $195. Now it's only $49.99. With that order, you'll get four top sirloin steaks, two premium pork chops. I have my pork chops right now defrosting. I'm going to make an incredible maple garlic glaze for them. Delicious. I've almost finished my family package, folks, and it's just me here. I love this food. Four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, four perfectly brown potatoes au gratin, plus you get four more burgers free. This is a limited time package for only $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar and add the family gift package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today. I think what's interesting about this is people forget history. The Federal Elections Commission actually ruled on this with John Edwards. They actually came up with a ruling and said that, you know what, the paying of his mistress was not a, uh, was not a campaign finance violation. We've over-criminalized campaign finance. I think we need to wait till we see the full picture. Now, the, the question that's presented just by Michael Cohen's plea right. and the Justice Department filing is, is a crime directed and coordinated by the president, which helped him obtain office sufficient to warrant his removal from that office? Um, that's a legitimate question to ask. So much lawyering going on here, so much contortion in the assessments of the law and in the way that people talk about these issues on the left, all in an effort to come up with a narrative, to frame them in such a way that you can say things like crime and criminal and as though the people involved are bad people, as though there's something really substantial at stake here. This is the big lie that you get from Democrats when it comes to all things Trump and Mueller special counsel related. Uh, they're trying so hard to convince people. They're trying so very hard to make them think that there's some really important principle at stake here. And what exactly is it when it comes to campaign finance? Well, what the, we're supposed to have public disclosure? I'm not even sure that I, I, you know, here's the problem with the campaign finance angle, which is what they're going with here. They think they're going to end this president uh, one way or another. I mean, they're going to get him to resign or they're going to beat him in reelection based on, they're definitely going to impeach him as we've been talking about, but they think it's going to be on campaign finance. I just say the campaign finance laws, the more you, the more you know them, the more you pay attention to them. They don't even make any sense. These are dumb laws. The way the, the notion that people should be treated as criminals for campaign finance issues, you look at this, you're like, for what? Who who is the victim here? Oh, public transparency. Liberals get in such a little tizzy over this, and then when you try to push them on them, uh, push them on these matters, one, they almost all have no idea what they're doing. They're just repeating whatever Rachel Maddow or 
Hayes or Anderson Cooper or whoever said on TV last night. They're just they're just regurgitating the this is what smart people say talking point. That's it. They don't know anything about campaign finance. I mean, how many libs even know that, for example, PACs can be set up for different candidates and the PAC can has no contribution limit whatsoever. And for before you announce running for the presidency, the PAC can pay for your travel, can pay for all kinds of things. There are so many ways. I mean, this is why McCain-Feingold, yeah, that's right, another legacy of McCain that we don't talk about that much that is not good. Uh, McCain-Feingold, all these things is a joke. I mean, all you can really credibly try to prevent is straight-up corruption, pay-for-play, quid pro quo. You know, you can't say, vote for this bill and I'll give you $10 million. But, you know, there's a lot of ways to say, do this thing for me and I'll do something else for you later. And it's not illegal, but it's pretty shady. It's very hard. Absent an ironclad quid pro quo situation, it's very hard to really, never mind prosecute people, just to even understand what the lines are. And this, this is what they think they're going to get Trump on? This is how they're... Their grand investigation of all things Trump is supposed to end? It's pathetic. It's pathetic. You know, Peter King mentioned this. Uh, he, he got into this a little bit. Play clip 11. Adam Schiff has been talking for two years about evidence of a collusion, and so far it's come up with nothing. If he's talking about the case in the Southern District against Michael Cohn, where they're talking about uh, payoffs that were made, again, assuming that those facts are true, I don't think anyone uh, would consider that to be a campaign contribution. Is it even a campaign contribution? Forget about whether they can prove that this was done at Trump's direction. And Cohen has a huge incentive to lie and say it was. Cohen loses nothing by saying this was all at Trump's direction. Now remember, Cohen's a lawyer. So he's supposed to be the one that understands the legal jeopardy. And this is the kind of issue where, I mean, if some of you were running, would you necessarily have known that, you know, you can't make the personal payoff? And there's a good faith argument that the personal payoff to Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, was not a campaign contribution. So if there's a good faith effort that it's not, I mean, a good faith argument rather that it's not a campaign contribution, then you'd probably err on the side of, well, I'm a, that's my interpretation of it. This is like taxes. I mean, I had a, we had a guest on today. This guy had been, he was on Rising. I don't remember his name. He said he'd been a prosecutor for decades and worked in uh, Alexandria for a while for the, you know, he was an assistant U.S. attorney there. This guy has prosecuted a lot of federal cases. And the stuff he was saying to me was just bonkers. Effectively saying that, you know, that, that yes, they finally got Trump. They've got him on, they've got him on this, on the payoff, or they're going to get him on taxes and the tax evasion component here. And I'm just sitting here, I'm like, if they really think, if the Dems and the left really believe that campaign finance, Mickey Mouse nonsense, and then turning Trump and the Trump organization upside down and wringing out their pockets, you know, like an IRS audit, which is effectively what special counsel Mueller, you know, could be up to next. I think, by the way, I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll draw a line on it. I think he'll do it. But if that all happens, they think the American people will accept that. I mean, Donald Rumsfeld used to write a letter to the IRS. I don't know if you know this. He used to write a letter to the IRS every year saying your tax code, even according to my tax experts is uh, unintelligible in some ways. And so I'm making a good faith effort to pay all the taxes owed, but I can't, you know, I'm signing my name to this, but I'm not able to tell you 100% if I did. I want you to know that up front. 
Put that letter with it every year. This is Donald Rumsfeld. The guy was Secretary of Defense, White House Chief of Staff. Guy knows some things about some stuff. They think that the way to get Trump is to go is to find tax irregularities. The tax code, 70,000 pages. Any one of you listening right now, I promise you, I could at least, if we had the IRS go after you aggressively enough, we could find something that you've done that's a tax irregularity. And then you get into, oh, is it criminal or is it civil? Well, as we see here, this is the game the Democrats love to play. The law is not really the law until they want it to be the law. Then they're then they're hardcore. Then then they want people to pay the you know the the harshest fines and the biggest punishments. And you know then all of a sudden they become really tough when there's a Republican that's in the crosshairs. When there's a Democrat, when it's Hillary and her emails, oh you know there's no real she didn't mean to. There's a you know men's right. And what you find is that the law is really only as just as the people applying the law, folks. That's the under and this is a. For a lot of people, I guess, a revelation, but it's a really unsettling one. Because when you have the politicization of the judicial branch, when you have the politicization of prosecutors' offices, uh, particularly in the major urban areas where you got a Democrat stronghold on politics, when you've got that going on, and then you have the recognition that there's no such thing as justice if the people that are administering justice are, are partisans and are corrupt. You want to talk about undermining the system, that is dramatically undermining our system. And people should feel like they can't trust the system with things like that going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should feel very strange about whether or not they can trust a system like this. Um, and and I, I don't take any pleasure in telling you that because this takes us down a very dark path of the country, but campaign finance reform, or rather campaign finance laws, that's what I mean. The, the libs find of many as many ways as they possibly can to shovel as much money into politics as they can, and then they all turn around like a bunch of sanctimonious hall monitors. Like we want the dark money out of politics. No, you don't. Look, you got Tom Steyer and these other idiot billionaires running around. They're throwing money into everything. You get Soros, Soros, spooky dude. You know all these guys. We'll talk about Steyer later on in the show, but. Campaign finance. That's how they think they end the Trump presidency. These people are nuts, but they'll stop at nothing. So they're actually dangerous. We have to deal with them. Ho, 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 and Merry Christmas, my fellow Americans. Guess what? There's only one coffee this Christmas or any time of year that you should be drinking or giving as a gift to your loved ones. Black Rifle Coffee. Are you a patriot? Do you love this country? Do you love delicious coffee? Do you love our veterans? You answer yes to all these questions because you listen to this show. That also means you should answer yes to the following. Are you going to order some Black Rifle coffee for this holiday? I drink Black Rifle every morning. First thing that I ingest is Black Rifle coffee. You need to check it out. They have a coffee club that allows you to pick the blend you want, and then Black Rifle will ship it right to your door every month, hassle-free. This is the best-tasting, most energizing, most veteran and first responder-loving coffee you could ever have. Black Rifle coffee, the gift that keeps on giving. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Sign up for that coffee club. I'm a member. You should be a member. Give it as a gift to somebody. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Sports have become politicized. We know this. We've talked about this on the show. One of the few places that used to be a, a bipartisan, dare I say, safe space 
where all Americans could just find excitement and joy and inspiration and, and escape and relaxation. You know, being a sports fan, not anymore. Uh, and, and we see this time and time again. Now, now, before we get into this, I will say there's a very nice story involving LeBron James where a, a he said a, a ball girl, I read about this over the weekend, a ball girl had been wearing very unique LeBron James-specific shoes time and time again. And one time at one of the games, she had been a ball girl at multiple games, he said, hey, I see you like my shoes. And and she said, yeah, I wear them all the time. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been a fan my whole life. And he gave her a pair of like, you know, super unique LeBron shoes that you can't get. And she cried and it was really nice. And it was just a reminder of the power of people in, in sports or in any medium where, where somebody has a following, has an audience, has a voice to do something good for somebody. And really, I mean, I'm sure that guy made her day, probably made her month. I mean, what a, you know, if I was a big LeBron fan, I mean, that's a story I'd remember forever. So, you know, that does still happen. There's still the, and, and good things happen, like the Patriots, for example, you know, lose to the Miami Dolphins in the last five seconds of the game. You know, good things can still happen. That's, I know, I've bought my, my peeps in Boston. Don't boo me, I'm sorry. But there's this other thing that occurred over the weekend where a Heisman Trophy winner, you know what, producer Mike is way more up on football than I am. Uh, you know, Mike, yeah. what, what, what happened here with, with Kyler Murray? Yeah, so Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy, and he beat out the uh, uh, University of Alabama quarterback, Tua uh, Tagovailoa. Who's he play for? Uh, Alabama. Okay. Roll Tide. So uh, going into, I think most people in college football believe that Tua is the much better quarterback. Um, he's on a really good team, but uh, you know Kyler Murray was given the Heisman Trophy. Some people say out of... Uh, you know, bias against Bama because they're so good. Um, other people on the Oklahoma side will say, listen, uh, Oklahoma has a really bad defense and it's up to their quarterback to put up you know, mad numbers every week, which he does. Okay. But uh, I, I, yeah. I love all the sports analysis, but you know that we're trying to get into the politics. What happened to him, right? Sorry, I got carried away. I love college football. I for a second there. Oh, yeah. So, so this guy, this guy gets in trouble. He gets the Heisman Trophy. His first real national media attention. Working his whole life to this moment, nicest moment probably, certainly the most high profile moment of his life. And they find out that when he was fifteen, he tweeted something where he called one of his friends a a mean word for you know a a, a slur for gay people. Right? Isn't that isn't that what happened here? Yeah. And multiple news outlets wrote stories on this. So, I mean, how this guy, if he's getting the Heisman, he's got to be like, what, 20, 21? Yeah, he's, uh, he's young. He's, uh, yeah, he's a senior. He'd probably be 22. Cause he, you know, 22. he also got drafted by the Oakland A's, so he's also a baseball player. But he was 15 years old. USA Today did a piece, old homophobic tweets resurface after he wins Heisman Trophy. And, and they came after him, and he said that, uh, and Kyler Murray wrote, I apologize for the tweets that have come to light from when I was 14 and 15. I used a poor choice of word that doesn't reflect who I am or what I believe. I did not intend to single out any individual or group. You know, I've said this before, man. You know, not only, I got two problems with this, Mike. Not only did they go, I mean, they're going after, yeah, he's 21 now. Not only did they go after him, for what he said when he was one case 14. I mean, when you're 14, you're you don't know anything. Yeah. You're a kid. You're a 14-year-old kid. The government is 14. 
But then on top of that, I'd also say that, you know, you go back, what, that would be seven years ago. And, you know, language and people's sensitivity has changed a lot. And, you know, what's considered, you know, I, I think about, you know, people would, would use the R-E-T-A-R-D word when I was growing up. They would use that as a synonym for uh, for dumb. All and, and now I'm not somebody who is particularly... Uh, you know, I, I, I think that language should be free and even and even salty sometimes. But when I, I that actually bothers me now. I mean, I'm actually somebody who's like, you really can't. You know, that's not okay. You know, having spent time around people that have that have that issue, have downs. Yeah, I, I really react very strongly to anybody throwing around that word like it's some way to make fun of people. But I didn't when I was a kid. People run around saying that all the time. And, you know, the word, I mean, I'm thinking he used a three-letter word that begins with an F here, if, um, if memory serves. And while certainly the context of defaming somebody or, or, or uh, assaulting somebody for their, their sexual orientation is, is heinous and wrong, a lot of kids said a lot of things that were stupid and didn't realize how stupid they were when they were kids. I guess I'm alone on this one. Where'd you go, Mike? No, I'm here. I totally agree with you, man. I think it's out of control. I mean, you know, if you think about how many of your, I mean, if you really think about how many of your peers would run around saying certain things and, and you know, calling each other certain things and yeah. not intending to attack any group per se, but just, you know, using these words as pejoratives. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, people use the word, people use the word, uh, let's say retard uh, mm -hmm. in ways when I was growing up that you would never do it now yeah. and they weren't saying it about people that actually have severe disabilities they were just saying it to each other like they thought it was a funny thing to say i'm not excusing behavior i'm just saying we we're kids kids are stupid and they're using the language that's around them mm -hmm. and to go after this guy in this way now it just feels like nobody like mike if they go after anybody i mean i wonder if you asked barack obama like did he ever say r-e-t-a-r-d about mm -hmm. somebody he probably did yeah. So does does he never get to talk in public again? I mean, is, you know, where do we draw no, the line here? If you yeah. if you can get in trouble when you're 14, uh, I just it gets me fired up. You heard about the Kevin Hart thing too, right? Along the same lines. No, what was it? Oh no, that's why. The, what would he? He can't host the Oscars. But what did he yeah. say again? He, what same he thing. Past tweets like from years ago, um, sort of the same subject matter. Um, used some uh, homophobic slurs many years ago, and came out, and he sort of didn't really apologize. He was like, listen. He's like, I'm sorry for it, but I'm an evolving person. I'm a growing person. I'm not going to like go back like years and years ago after everything I've done and apologize. So if you want me out of the Oscars, I'm out. Fine. And like people got really bent out of his reaction to it and him stepping down. And now it's, it's crazy because now nobody wants to host the Oscars. People are like, it's not, you know, you know, I was reading articles today. People in Hollywood are like, you know, it's not worth it hosting the Oscars because if you're going to get you know, raked over to coals for everything you've ever done. I mean, there's just so many of these humorless stone face social justice tyrants running around that you know they can't even keep up with their with their usage of language and what's acceptable and what's totally. not acceptable <laughs> and you know and you'd think they'd get the thing is you'd think they'd get tired of it after a while mm. but it doesn't seem like this gets better man it just seems like it keeps getting worse uh, it's it's it usually wind, and it usually winds up resulting on liberal and liberal crime they usually wind up eating their own which is hilarious but, oh absolutely you know oh, absolutely and then, and then they have this whole look it, it's you know, the, the one of the things with the with the Me Too movement, for example, is they didn't think they were going to have to throw a U.S. Senator Al Franken under the bus. But, you know, they established the rules. Those are the rules. You know, they they this stuff boomerangs back on them sometimes. So, you know, and now people are saying maybe Franken shouldn't have even resigned. I mean, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but I'm just saying that you know they, they make these rules and then 
they're forced to, to your point, they're forced to live by them too, at least at some level. There's still double standards, but when there's an egregious violation of them. And look, I mean, Kevin Hart's a guy who, you know, I think would usually be considered in good standing in Hollywood and mm-hmm. on the left and Democrats. He's very yeah. famous and wealthy African-American entertainer. But, uh, you know, he there's certain certain red lines and he crossed mm-hmm. one of them for them. So from Philadelphia, just I'm throw that in there. He's from Philly, really? Oh, yeah. You know, we got to do like a one year. We'll have to do like a like a charity event. We'll, we'll auction off for Team Buck, you know, a, a producer Mike personal guided <laughs> tour of Philly. Like producer Mike's version of Philly. I think, yeah. I think there'd be interest. It starts at the Rocky statue and ends at a cheesesteak place. <laughs> there we go. That's what I like to hear. So anyway, I, this guy, Kyler, I think he apologized, which I usually say don't apologize. I think that's the right move. But, you know, and if you guys have any actual football questions, go to producer Mike with those. I'll be back in uh, just a moment. Just let's get beyond the barriers. Tell them because they're going to hit us. Police uh, throwing these tear gas uh, canisters and bombs to stop people. These nationwide protests continue to rock France. Things got rowdy over the weekend. You heard some of it there. The gilets jaunes, the yellow vests, uh, have already got some concessions from the government, but they're not stopping there. In fact, we have a new unofficial list of of demands from the yellow vests that includes a cut uh, to taxes to 25% of GDP, which is half of the current level, better public services, massive hiring of civil servants, leaving the EU and NATO, defaulting on public debt, a new constitution, less immigration, and scrapping the CFA franc in West Africa. Huh. Uh, to make sense of all this, we have Sarab Amari with us now. He is uh, an editor of opinion columns over at the New York Post. Sarab, great to have you on. Thanks for having me, Buck. Uh, so what do you what do you make of of first of all what have they gotten so far in terms of concessions and what do you think of some of the uh, some of the demands they're throwing out there now? Well, on the immediate concessions, uh, remember, Buck, the thing that set this off was Emmanuel, President Emmanuel Macron's foolish plan to uh, hike up a tax on diesel and fuel, uh, which obviously hits people who live in the uh, rural areas and working class people who need to drive around the, the hardest um, and does not hit his own constituency of the sort of ur- urban elite types uh, who, who elected him. So that was the immediate, uh, I guess, uh, demand. But since then, it's gotten a little bit uh, far beyond that. We can talk about that. But Macron so far has said he's willing to suspend the tax for six months and he's but he's he's been decidedly sort of unwilling to address the protest directly because he has this sort of imperious style you know he styles himself a a new de gaulle or even a new napoleon so he can't deign to talk to the people himself and he's dispatched the prime minister to do the persuasion um but that's the only immediate concession um beyond that there as you mentioned they have a bunch of uh uh, uh, demands that that are 
this new mix of, I would say, of what used to be called the far right and the far left, limits on immigration, but also pulling out of NATO. Um, uh, you know, uh, pull out of the EU, but also cut taxes, but also increase spending. It's a, it's a mishmash, and what people have to recognize is that the actual movement is this grassroots movement uh, fueled by fueled by fuel issues, let's say. And then all sorts of other groups have attached themselves to it, and each are pushing their own agenda. And it's not even clear what documents that the movement puts out even reflects the, the actual people who are coming out. It's all very confused and very French. I, I found it. Yeah, I mean, look, when, when the French protest, they go big. We can say that at least, right? They don't. They don't when they decide that they're really going to make some noise in the streets, they're not messing around. And they have, based on the polling I've seen, eighty percent support. Which for a protest movement like this, it, for the for the general population to overwhelmingly back them up, just goes to show that you know that, that, that the French government doesn't have that much of a choice in at least backing off of, as you said, the the uh, the tax on on gasoline because of climate change. But I, I thought this was fascinating because it raised the issue of other taxes and, 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 uh, and the, the demand for less taxes on, on working people in general. I mean, there, there are two things that this brings to mind for me, uh, uh, Sarab. One of them is that you saw this initial response from some people on the left that, oh, gosh, you know, th- they can't be for less taxation because that seems that seems like a conservative American talking point. Like there, there's a there's a, a sense in the American left in our own commentariat that any any demand for less taxation is inherently a conservative position, even in a place like France that has a percentage of GDP has a vast taxation, really high levels of taxation. And then and then the you know the other part I thought was interesting is just that you see that the real money. You know, the French try this millionaires tax, and, and look, the reason this interests Americans, I think, other than just it's a pretty engaging story is that we see your parallels on our own situation but the 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 government is basically trying to get away with this well we'll just have the rich pay taxes until it comes time to actually raise the revenue then you realize the rich don't have enough money to pay for all this stuff the 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 middle class has to pay and they have to pay more than they want to yeah i mean look france has had unemployment at about 10 percent for as long as anyone can remember maybe a generation it's it it has uh, uh, one in four young people are unemployed, which is a catastrophic number. In the smartest French people often you'll find working in places like New York and San Francisco and London, and not in France. Um, it, it has this vast state which takes up. I mean, it's as you mentioned, it's the size of the state is and, and the public debt is larger than the than the GDP. Uh, and these are issues that Macron actually wants to fix, and he part of his program is to try to fix that. I think the mistake that he made was to tack on this sort of green nonsense kind of uh, uh, alarmism to it with this this fuel hike, um, which wasn't just a fuel hike. I'll tell you a couple of other things. They've reduced, they, they've reduced the speed limit on, on many roads to like 50 miles an hour. And again, for people who need to get places fast, it drives you insane. You can only drive 50 miles an hour. They passed all these new regulations that make many of the older cars on the road illegal to drive. And people were uh, outraged. And Macron said, you know what? I'll give you 4500 toward the per- dollars toward the purchase of a Tesla or an electric car, which is the most kind of Marie Antoinette elitist kind of thing. <laughs> Let them eat Teslas. Um, 
So that that was, I mean, his mistake. I think if if he had just stuck to his economic reform agenda, I think the most of the country recognizes that its labor rules are too restrictive for employers and discourages hiring and firing. Taxes are too high on job creators. I think people got that. Public sector unions have too much power. People got that. But it all got muddled up with this stuff, plus a kind of a, a bunch of crazy immigration stuff that he's he's added on. He's signed up the country for this global immigration pact, which is going to get signed with the United Nations this week in Marrakesh and Morocco, which, again, many French people find distasteful because they think that they've legitimately, I think, have felt that there's, had, there's been too much immigration, the ones who are already here aren't assimilating. Um, so, you know, Macron didn't do what he really needed to do, was to focus on just fixing the economy by reducing the burden on taxpayers and workers and job creators. Instead, he muddled his message with all this sort of other kind of, you know, utopian liberal agenda, and it all exploded. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a very accurate description. It has definitely exploded. It has blown up in, in the French state's face. Uh, by the way, Sarah, I'm just assuming you know about Brexit because you know about all these things. What do you think? Can you give give the folks today some background on what Theresa May, they, they delayed this Brexit vote, but I thought we already had a vote. That's what Brexit was. What's going on here? Okay, so in 2016, the British people voted to leave the the European Union uh, by a, 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 both a wide majority and and some of the highest turnouts in British electoral history ever. Um, then the question became, okay, how do you actually divorce Britain from the European Union? And what many Brexit supporters feel is that uh, the Prime Minister May, in her negotiations with the with Brussels, went soft and uh, created this situation in which they've gone up this agreement together where uh, Britain would remain subject to many of the European Union's administrative rules and regulations uh, in order to be able to trade with the EU. So in other words, they're getting really none of the benefits of being a truly independent sovereign nation, which is what the heart of the demand was. But there aren't, they're, they're, not, uh, they're also uh, not getting the um, kind of regulatory freedom that they wanted. So it's, it's just sort of been like, what happened to Brexit? And that's really what's happening right now is, is to what extent can the people through Parliament get to an agreement that actually reflects a real Brexit and not a kind of soft situation in which they're not, they're not only getting the rules, but now they're not even at the table to help shape the rules. At least back in the day, they, they, Britain was at the table at the European Union so it could have a say on, on its sort of bureaucratic overreach. Now they're out of it. They're still subject to the rules, and they don't have a say at the at the table, the councils of Europe. So that's the real heart of the matter: is can Prime Minister May kind of find her spine to negotiate a tougher deal with Brussels um, that really gives voice to the vote that was taken in 2016? I had my doubts about various aspects of Brexit, but as a small D Democrat, the people deserve to to get the thing that they voted for, which is a real Brexit. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty remarkable that they could have uh, a plebiscite, right? I mean, that they could have the people decide, and then once the people have decided, now the establishment politicians are like, well, we're not sure they really get what they, you know, they, they don't get what they want. That's not how this goes, uh, which is a pretty bad precedent. I mean, I've got to say, I think that that's, it, it ties into a lot of the general feelings right now about the elites and the establishment uh, in the UK and, and in this country too. And just to that end, I mean, the... Uh, the market this morning I and mean, how this affects us 
Uh, do, do you think that this really uh, this this rattled things? I mean, I know that it recovered, but people were telling me, "Oh, the Brexit Brexit fears why the market had a dive this morning." I mean, markets respond to a variety of things, and, and so I, I I wouldn't just pin it down to one, but it's certainly one of them. Is this sort of is lack of clarity is very makes everyone nervous, and that's one problem. And uh, to your point about the way European elites work, it's exactly right. They sort of when they will say we will hold as many votes it, t- it takes to reach the right outcome but by the right yeah outcome, it's it's populism without the populi <laughs> it's populism without actually letting <laughs> people without a demos yeah exactly exactly all right well sarab amari everybody check out his work at the uh, new york post and also follow him on twitter sarab always appreciate you making the time my pleasure buck thank you Tim, we'll be right back so basically, when you think about how we're actually going to succeed and actually kick their ass, it's going to be based on justice, environmental justice, economic justice, and coalition. That's right. That's right. And so when we look about what's going to happen in 2020, we are going to have to crush these people. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think right. the whole idea that they're going to That's compromise, right. they're going to come to their senses, they don't really understand what's going on. They absolutely understand what's going on. They're looking at their interest. They're not fooled. They're doing something that they believe is really good for them and to hell with everybody else. We're in a situation that is dire and the ability to be polite to people who are gonna put everyone in this room and for the parents, every one of your kids at risk and for the grandparents, every one of your grandchildren at dire risk. I think the time for politeness is over. So I've got good news and bad news for you, folks. The good news is that, as you can tell there from Tom Steyer ranting about climate change, you can be a complete moron in this country and become a billionaire. So, you know, that's we got that going for us, which is nice. Even somebody who is delusional can become a billionaire. The bad news is is that Tom Steyer is a billionaire and he's nuts. And as you can tell from the way he's talking about the issue of climate change there, uh, they are really emboldened right now on the left because of this, uh, well, one, I mean, they're, or they're tying to California wildfires. Has the California wildfires have nothing to do with climate change, okay? Meaning that, you know, th- this is like the butterfly flapping the wings in New York get a storm in Shanghai theory of the climate. There's just, it, these things are so far removed from each other. The notion that they'd be able to draw a causal link between CO2, the atmosphere, and one period of forest fires in one tiny part of the world, right? We think of it, oh my gosh, it was a terrible fire, I know, but we're talking about just one little area of California, which is one state in the U.S., which is one country, I mean, you start breaking this down, think of what a microcosm they are using to make judgments about the macro. And yet that's what he's that's what they're doing. And this is this is now the beginning of what you're gonna hear a lot more of. And I'm gonna have to break it down for you on this show. And I won't get into it in in detail today, but this is a thing now. This is the the Democrat base. I'm not sure it's gonna be a big thing in the general because it's such a dumb idea. But in the primary for the Democrats, they're going to be running on this, and you're going to hear a lot of a lot of malarkey from the Congress about it, and they're calling it the Green New Deal. 
And those of you are saying, what the heck is that? That's a very valid question because I don't even think the people who are pushing for this know what this so-called Green New Deal is supposed to be. I don't think they're really aware of what the Green New Deal uh, would involve. It just sounds good. As an aside, I know this is a little bit of a this is a little bit of a soliloquy within the broader monologue here, but notice how FDR, who was going to court pack, who put Japanese Americans in internment camps, you know, FDR, who has so much in his background, in his history, that you think by our contemporary standards uh, would be just just unpalatable to the left. He escapes he escapes the criticism of the social justice warriors. He he escapes the kind of of uh, you know. Hillarying, is that a is that's a word uh, that the left heaps on everybody else based on contemporary standards? Anyway, the Green New Deal is supposed to be huge investment in jobs and um, you know jobs and infrastructure for renewable renewable energy, which just means taxpayers subsidizing wildly expensive and inefficient energy programs. It, what it really means is that it's like Solyndra on steroids. That's what the Green New Deal is going to be. Uh, if these technologies were efficient enough, if they were productive enough, guess what? The private sector would be all about them. But you see this: the green, the green energy sector. It is growing. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, ignorant of this. Yeah, solar is getting more efficient. Solar is getting cheap. These things are, but it's slow. It's happening, but it's happening slowly. They're arguing for. A great leap forward, if you will, on green energy. And yes, I'm making the historical illusion there on purpose. They're arguing for a great leap forward without recognizing that these, you know, that these massive government programs end in catastrophe. That when the government involves itself in the economy this way, and it's not d- d- done by stakeholders and, and innovators and entrepreneurs, but by government fiat. It's a disaster, and that's why I can tell you, and we'll get more into this another time, the Green New Deal is a disaster, but Democrats are embracing it. Oh, that's right. Twitter's now banning conspiracies online. Well, what's a conspiracy, you know? What really goes on with conspiracy? Oh, I don't, it's whatever the left says it is, apparently. You know how the social media giants play the game. Don't let them silence you or determine what you can see, what you can read. Go to Snippy. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com. They're expressing their opinions and they're getting lively, fired up conversation going. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform all about conversation and community. They not only encourage freedom of expression, but they guarantee users the ability to discuss topics without suppression from administrators. Everybody's free to share their thoughts on Snippy. You got to check it out for yourself. I'm a member. I post. I check in daily now. No shadow banning, no suppression of conservative thought. With an updated user interface and exciting new features, Snippy.com is also available in the Apple App Store and for Android. Snippy.com, totally free, all free. Check it out yourself. Join your new alternative social media. Can the government take your home for unpaid taxes. Yeah, the government can. But can the government take your home for eight, that's right, eight dollars in unpaid taxes? Well, if you live in certain states, the answer is yes. You really need to hear about this one. 
Story by Christina Martin, The Wall Street Journal. For $8.41 in unpaid taxes, the government took Uri Raffaelli's house. This was in Michigan. And anyone want to guess what, what tool of the prosecutors and tool of the state was used here to seize a home for $8 in unpaid taxes? Uh, that's right. Civil asset forfeiture. Let me give you the details of this, and then we can jump into more of what the heck is going on here. Uri Raffaelli is an 83-year-old engineer and great-grandfather. He never expected the government to treat him like a drug dealer or gangbanger, but last year the Michigan Court of Appeals held that a county government could use civil asset forfeiture, the same legal process used by police to confiscate drug lords' mansions, to seize a modest rental property Mr. Raffaele owned because he accidentally underpaid his property taxes by a whopping $8.41. Mr. Raffaele bought the house through his business for $60,000 in 2011. Later that year, he inadvertently underpaid his property taxes by $496. When he learned of his mistake, Mr. Raffaelli attempted to pay the debt in full, but failed to account for the interest that he had accumulated since he received the bill. He came up $8.41 short. Unaware of his error, Mr. Raffaelli went on to pay his taxes in a timely manner in subsequent years. But Oakland County in 2014 foreclosed on the property to collect the tiny debt, along with $277 in penalties, interests, and fees. Uh, six months later, the county sold the property for $24,500 at auction and refused to refund Mr. Raffaelli any of the profits. End quote. I mean, this is off this Wall Street Journal piece. Folks, let's just take a moment here, shall we? This is crazy. The state can seize your house for an $8 underpayment? Uh, how about a phone call from one of the countless, very hardworking, I know, state bureaucrats saying, hey, can you send us a check for $8? Even better, can, can you just sign on to this, you know, Michigan.gov portal and uh, you can just pay with a credit card here? Eight bucks, that's all we need, eight bucks. Thank you. How about that? No, instead they use civil asset forfeiture to take his home, which is worth, you know, let's call it 60, maybe a little more than $60,000. Probably appreciated a little bit since he bought it. But $60,000 home and sell it for $25,000. What? What is this? Who thinks this is okay? This is America. This is today this is happening. I know we're all supposed to care so much about Trump's taxes. But why don't we care more about how the relationship between citizen and government is tilted so far in favor of the government on matters of taxation, matters of criminal justice. I mean, this is this is getting out of hand. Let me go back to this Wall Street Journal piece because the, the, the details are important. Quote, cash-strapped local governments in Michigan rely on profits from the sale of tax-foreclosed properties. According to the Detroit News, Oakland County raked in $22.5 million dollars by auctioning and off tax foreclosures from 20, uh, 2006 to 2015. County officials use these funds to pay for tax collection expenses and maintain properties worth less than their tax debts, 
but whatever's left over gets swept into the general fund. Besides the obvious injustice of such a naked governmental money grab, these types of civil asset forfeitures threaten Americans' constitutionally protected rights. End quote. I mean, this is, this is so egregious that this could even happen. I mean, you have to read this kind of a piece to believe that this could happen. Um, you, have, you have to read this to, to think that this could be going on in America. I mean, the Fifth Amendment says they cannot take private property without just compensation. This is not just compensation. And this is not due process. This is just, up. Oh, you owe us? We're just going to take your stuff because we can. Because there's a legal loophole that lets us. And you might say, Buck, well, why would they do this? Well, we know why they do this. Because the government, like Skynet from the Terminator movies, is self-aware. The government, whether state or federal, is increasingly a self-interested and self-perpetuating organism. People who work for the government don't necessarily view it this way, but there is a hive mind effect. And I saw it when I was the CIA where the institution, the agency, the bureau, the whatever it is, whatever government entity you work for has to stay fully funded at all times, has to get staffed up, you know, even more every year. Whatever the projections are, got to hit those projections. No cutbacks, no pay decreases, pay increases, no changes in budget, only, only one direction, up. And this is very common in a lot of these And there's really a feeling of self-righteousness that takes hold of a lot of these government folks that, you know, they're owed this by the taxpayer, that their their mission is so important. And I I mean, I just don't know how anyone could sleep at night who is part of a a government uh, government program that takes, by the way, no one thinks that this individual, no one thinks that Ori Raffaelli in Michigan is a criminal or a bad guy. He owes $8. I mean, I probably still owe Blockbuster $8 from the 90s. Probably still going to come after me at some point for it, too. Uh, but this, is not the, this is not the only case like this. There's a lot of these civil asset forfeiture cases. And, you know, it, it's just out of control. I mean, you know, for example, here's another one. The, the elderly, sick, or economically distressed are most at risk of losing property over taxes. Henderson Hodgins lost his childhood home and farm in Township, Michigan in 2014 when hospitalization left him unexpectedly unable to pay his $5,900 debt. Another guy, Benjamin Coleman, who suffers from dementia, lost his Washington, D.C. home when he forgot to pay a $134 tax bill. Public outrage over his story prompted the District of Columbia to change a confiscatory law to protect property rights. I mean, seizing property because somebody owes like 50 bucks? You're going to take their home because they owe five bucks? This is, this is unjust. This is unfair. And that this can happen in many states, not just Michigan. It happen, it's, it's, true in, uh, it's true in Vermont. It's true in New Hampshire. It's true in Michigan. It's true in a whole bunch of places. Uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, Oregon, Massachusetts, a whole bunch of states have this. Uh, we've got to keep an eye on this. There's stories that matter, folks, outside of the, the constant battle over the Trumpathon. There's other stuff here, and we'll continue to follow them here in the Freedom Hunt. 
Global Verification is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. You're probably going to be staffing up in the new year, right? If you got any hires you're going to be making, you need somebody that can just take all the headache out of the background check process. Make sure you get it done quickly, efficiently, and by people that you know you can trust and you can get on the phone. They're not some huge corporation. I know Mark Buckman, the CEO, personally. He's a great guy. He's a veteran himself, and he really cares about the business that he's in. And call them and tell them that Buck Sexton sent you. I'm telling you, they'll be so happy to hear from you, and they'll have a package that's right for you and your business for background checks and vetting. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. You know, if you got somebody else in your background checks, you might want to price it out and talk to what's going or talk to the folks over at uh, at Global Verification Network, all right? MyGVN.com. Again, that's MyGVN.com. So I just love this story. I think this is a fantastic story uh, because it really is a little window into how things work in these big Democrat machines of politics that you see in places like uh, Chicago and, and you know, major cities, Baltimore, New York, Miami, Los Angeles. There's, there's differences, but there's some baseline similarities in all these places. And that is that this idea that Democrats have been running around with for a long time, that everyone just wants voter turnout, man, and they just don't want voter suppression and there's no such thing as voter fraud. No, there is voter fraud. There absolutely is voter fraud. And in fact, we are currently finding out, and we should know more later this week, whether this uh, election in North Carolina was marred by fraud. They might need to do, they might not be able to seat the Republican who won, and they might have to have an entirely new primary and general election. That would be the process for that congressional seat in North Carolina. This is a straight-up do-over, and it's looking likely that that is the case. There's this uh, guy who is a kind of political fixer in North Carolina, and he's at the heart of this idea that, or this allegation that people were picking up absentee ballots, which is illegal except under very specifically defined circumstances in North Carolina. They were essentially illegally harvesting ballots. It might have been more widespread than was even thought. So North Carolina may have to have a whole new election because of fraud for a congressional seat. Now, this story in Chicago, this is not going to get nearly nearly as much attention because it really only plausibly involves malfeasance by Democrats, right? The chicanery is on one side of things here. It's the Democrat side. And so it won't get nearly nearly the same degree of media interest that, for example, North Carolina, where Republican one has been getting. But this is about a college kid named David Kruppa, uh, who's 19 years old, who decided to run for 13th Ward Alderman. So the 13th Ward, I don't really know Chicago politics well, so pardon me, some of you probably know it better than I do, but the 13th Ward is, uh, you know, in, in Chicago, and it's it's covered by the Chicago political machine. Some refer to it as the daily machine. And this is an example of a guy who, look, he's a young guy. I think we're going to actually have him on Rising tomorrow as a guest. I think that's what we've got scheduled, so we'll be able to talk to him about it. 
But he's just a a a young man who wants to get in. Young man sounds like I'm some, you know, some guy who's been around for a century. But he, he wanted to get involved in politics, so he figured out that all you need to do is get a certain number of signatures, and you can get yourself on the ballot. But in the Chicago realm, that a in this case a Republican named David Kruppo is a freshman at DePaul University. He drives a forklift part-time, and he's a conservative guy who studies political science. He wanted to, you know, throw his hat in the ring and get involved in local politics. And so the 13th Ward, which is run by House Speaker Michael Madigan, who is apparently known as Boss Madigan in Chicago, and is referred to in the Chicago Tribune as the most powerful politician in the state. So this guy didn't necessarily realize it, but he decided to walk into uh, El Padron's backyard here. And the current alderman of the 13th Ward is this guy, Marty Quinn. But, you know, Marty Quinn is no one, no one that you've ever heard of unless you live in Chicago. But the Daily Machine in Chicago, you certainly are familiar with. Remember, it's, what, it's where Obama built his political career. I mean, there's, there's very powerful Democrat roots here in in Chicago and it really runs the whole it really runs the whole state you know I was out in Springfield Illinois recently and they were telling me that the Democrats that are out in Chicago are the ones that really call the shots for everybody else even though technically the city government is in Springfield it's the capital I'm sorry the state government is in Springfield so this guy Kruppa uh gets on the ballot and he gets Four, uh, he needed 473 valid signatures of people who live in the 13th Ward to get on the ballot with the Chicago Board of Elections. Kruppa, only 19 years old, managed a, a robust 1,703 signatures. But this is where the story gets amazing, my friends. Before he could even file his signatures with the Elections Board... A group of political workers, all right, a, a bunch of political activists at the behest of the Chicago Daily Machine went door to door with official legal papers. And what did they do? They asked people to remove this young man by signing an affidavit of revocation of their signature. That's right. They moved so quickly to squash this guy that they that they managed to get all of his signatures revoked before he could even turn in the signatures that he had gathered think about that for a moment i mean uh, i don't think anybody really thinks that he's a real challenge in the 13th war but they they don't even want to you know they don't know they don't want to they don't want to play any games now, the thing about these revocations is that they are legally binding documents they are notarized and signed. So that means that lying on these documents is in fact perjury. And you can even have felony charges for this. And if you have a felony charge, you can't work for the government. So these are people working on behest of, at behest of the government who may have, you think, colored a little bit outside the lines here. But then things get really interesting. Who wants to guess? This young man wants to run in Chicago. 1,703 signatures that he's, he's turning in. 
but how many revocations of signatures, meaning people who say, I pull away the signature that I already signed. How many revocations did the Chicago machine, the Democrat machine, churn out? 2,796. So someone's going to need to explain how it's possible that they found an extra 1,000 people who claimed that their signatures had to be revoked when these political activists went door to door. How, did, how is that a mistake that anybody could reasonably make? And oh, when they did a, a document match of the 1,703 people who signed to get young Mr. Kruppa on the ballot, only 187 of them, uh, of, of the revocations rather, match the original petitions. So what do they do in Chicago to block this kid from getting on the ballot of a ward in the city of Chicago that this kid has no prayer of winning, I would assume, but who knows? But realistically, no chance. They got more, and I mean, you know, almost almost double. I mean, they, they overshot. He only got 1,700, and they overshot that by 1,000. So... You know, it's like a 60%, call it a 60% increase in revoked signatures, which means, guess what? People lied. People broke the law. They're turning this over to Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. But who wants to guess what political party Fox belongs to? Oh, that's right. She's a Democrat. Now, you have signatures. These are tied to individuals. You have people handing in those signatures. You have a paper trail here. And you have a pretty much open and shut case of felony election fraud occurring in Chicago city limits for the 13th Ward. All so they could stop a young conservative from even appearing on the ballot. Does anyone think there are going to be criminal charges from this? Does anybody think that the Chicago machine doesn't extend into the prosecutor's offices here? This is the thing about corruption. Once you really understand its nature, you understand its extent. You understand that there's no check on this, really. There's no there's no uh, good faith actors in place who are going to take this on in Chicago. It's too entrenched. It's too Democrats, too left wing, too corrupt. What an incredible story. You get 1,700 people. You think you're going to start your political career by getting on the ballot. And they get 2,700 to say, yeah, I'm pulling away my signature. And only 187 of the 2,700 even gave their signature in the first place. A lot of fraud, folks. No one's going to go to prison because Democrats. Standing at six foot two and weighing in at 220 pounds, Male-to-female transgender handballer Hannah Mouncey is dominating at the Women's Asian Championships in Japan. Before his transition in May 2016, Mousy played for the Australian men's handball team. This is from the Daily Wire. You know, if I had said five years ago, Okay, that you would have a situation now where libs would be telling all the rest of us not only should 
males be able to play female sports, but they should be able to play against women, but we should pretend that they are women playing against women, they would have said that that was crazy, that that's fear-mongering. And I mean five years ago. When I started in media, I remember some of the examples when we would talk about transgenderism and what's going to happen here. We would say, well, what about men and women's prisons and those separations? What about men and women's sports? Essentially, what about those places, those areas of life where biology is, in fact, the determining factor? Right? I, I have said this so many times. How many of you who are men listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about? All of you. And the ladies know it, too. If you were to pick your average 200-pound, able-bodied, 25-year-old male off the street and told him that in a contact sport he was going to play against women, he would be able to play at a very high level, assuming he was reasonably strong and athletic, right? You got a 200-pound, 6-foot-tall guy who's 25 years old. He's going to be an elite-level athlete among females in contact sports, not in tennis or, you know, but in sports where pure physical strength and speed are really all that is needed. Um, and, and we just, we all know this, but we're being told to forget what is obvious. In fact, we're being told to embrace what is false. You know, here's the, the headline here was, he played handball for Australia's men's team. Now transgender, he's dominating women's handball. And I see this now as even going beyond the strength issue to the attractiveness issue. You know, you have the Miss Universe uh, competition, which, you know, for pure research purposes, I have occasionally tuned in just to, you know, I'm in media and I need to know what's going on. So occasionally I will have flipped on the Miss Universe competition. I change the channel when the swimsuits come on, but... You know, I have been known to see some of the pageants in the past. And they're all saying the odds-on favorite this year to win the 2018 Miss Universe pageant is uh, Angela Ponce, who is male. This is, I mean, this is a transgender individual, you know. And, and I think it's, a, it's, it's remarkable that this has moved so quickly that now I, I guess you're you're bigoted if as a male who is attracted to females, uh, which is a vast majority, despite what you get from watching the media these days, a vast majority of males are in fact attracted to females. And it is a deep biological predisposition, right? There's, there's a whole propagation of the species thing that comes into play here. Uh, if you're a biological male who, who is only attracted to females, it is bigoted if you really take this, the woke social justice warriors at their word. It's bigoted for you to not be attracted to a man who has put on all these uh, ostensibly female characteristics on their, you know, on their outer body. The problem is, folks, it's also, you know, you can always really tell. It never, you know, I've never seen a transgendered individual who is not obviously male with female uh, accoutrement, if you will. You can always tell. And you can't actually change your biology. So they can give you the pills and they can give you the surgeries and all this stuff, but ultimately, it's just all feeding into a lie. 
But because of the, the radical equality that's at the heart of cultural Marxism and the left, uh, because of the radical equality that is the basis for so much of their agitation and so much of their organizing and, and, and really the uh, leveraging of envy as a means of mobilizing people, they like to pretend that there's no differences between the genders. Therefore, any differences between the genders that do exist in terms of pay or strength or anything else, uh, th those are social constructs that are the result of oppression. So I, I know I just that's a much more complicated. Maybe I'll get into that more the next time because I feel like I'm just scratching the surface with you on that one this time around. But uh, it's an issue I'm always happy to talk about uh, because I think it shows you how how dishonest and how crazy the left has become. We have our first roll call in days coming up. I'm excited about it, so stay right there. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for roll call. Well, team, it is so good to be back here in the saddle, in the Freedom Hut. Man, it was it was tough last week. I... I don't know if it was a light flu or a terrible cold, but it was one of the two. And I try not to whine about that kind of stuff on this show. I know everyone's got their own health challenges. Stop whining. I was in rough shape there. That Wednesday show, the last show I did before I had to take a couple days out, my my voice box was, was basically failing in some of the breaks. And I, I was coughing up stuff that might as well have been Slimer from Ghostbusters. Like some of the stuff that I was coughing up could have gotten up and walked out of the room by, I know, I know it's gross. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Producer Mike, I'm sorry. All right. That was gross. TMI, as the kids say. Too much information. T-M-I. Not to be confused with Bay, which is another thing that the cool kids say. Um, we have roll call to get to, so I will get right to it now. Uh, first up, by the way, whenever you hear me doing that, when I start rambling incoherently for a second during Roll Call, it's usually because my computer is frozen up and it has unfrozen. Kyle writes, Buck, I don't have cable TV. I listen to your podcast and uh, Fox Business on my XM. But on the treadmill this morning, I had a side-by-side -side view of Fox and CNN. Fox had at least a half a dozen segments, all different subjects to include Russia. Without exaggeration, CNN had 25 minutes of Russia indictment impeachment coverage and five minutes of Khashoggi. To say Trump lives in their heads is an understatement. Well, Kyle, it's not all ideologically driven. I mean, I can tell you that stories that involve Trump, stories about Trump, get ratings. They get attention. And in a sense, you know, people in, in this media business, you, you give the people what they want or else your competition does. I mean, that that is a very real consideration and even cnn for example overall its ratings are up even though its primetime ratings are, are, are quite a bit down and its ratings are up because of trump so while they complain about trump and say that he's a danger to the press he's making the press richer and he's not actually a danger to them so it's really a win-win for the whiny libs of the media patrick just for information's sake to follow up on my ancestry, I'm two-thirds Welsh, a third Irish, and 1% Congolese. That means I have more African in me than Warren has Native American. Well, Patrick, thank you for the random, fun, personal facts that now the entire country knows about. Good to hear from you. Adam writes, Buck, I'd like to get your opinion on universal basic income. 
I personally think if properly executed, we could drive a stake through the heart of federal bureaucracy and potentially the Democratic Party, slash and burn nearly all benefits to pay for it. Well, Adam, here's the thing. Universal basic income sounds at first for a lot of folks like a pretty good idea, right? You need a safety net. Very few people these days argue against any kind of safety net. So if you're going to have a safety net, the thinking goes, why not just give people money and then let them fend for themselves with that money? Well, what would happen is you'd have a, a similar dynamic to when people say, let's get rid of income tax and replace it with a VAT tax. And they say, well, we'll only have a VAT tax. We won't have income tax. No, the way government, the way bureaucracies work, you're going to have both. So by creating universal basic income, what would happen is you would have an additional entitlement and then they would either want to bring back or keep or enlarge supplemental nutrition assistance program, food stamps. They'd want to enlarge uh, Medicaid, you know, free health care. They'd want to enlarge all these different programs to the poor and give them a universal basic income. And that's not good. It also would create a, a perception that the state has an obligation to pay its people and I think that just at a philosophical level, you know, it's one thing to give somebody, it's one thing to give somebody food or medical care. It's something to give somebody just money they can do absolutely anything with. I think the amount of fraud you'd see is very, very high. Uh, look, you've got $80 billion a year. It's estimated in Medicare and Medicare fraud in America every year. $80 billion with a B. So that's, uh, that's my sense of that. I don't think we're going there anytime soon. And, and there are a lot of people who would argue against it for the very reason that it would eliminate jobs. There are there are plenty of people that feel very strongly that we should have a large, overpaid, and lethargic bureaucratic class in this country working for the government, and that that has a stabilizing influence on society. This is a good thing, and we should have these this, this bureaucratic establishment. Uh, people do believe that. I, I'm not one of them, but there are people who think that way. Anne writes, Jay... Just J. And I don't know what the secret code is, but you have to write more to me and then I'll know what the secret code is. We can keep the party going. Irene writes, have you thought about joining CRTV, Blaze TV? You are loved. Well, Irene, first of all, very kind of you. Thank you for the encouragement. As to joining the Blaze or CRTV, uh, right now I'm in a contract with The Hill. Uh, so... I couldn't do another TV show right now, um, and I'm, I'm going to be at the Hill for at least a few more months. So the answer to your question is I'm always open to working with good people in media and especially good conservatives in media, and I have a lot of friends and a lot of people I really like and admire at The Blaze and at CRTV. So we'll see what the future holds. I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm very focused right now, first and foremost, on this radio show, uh, but then also trying to expand out and do more, uh, well, really just get more viewership for the Hill TV project that we are working on. But Irene, you're, you're definitely thinking in the right general direction. Matthew, hope you feel better, bro. You sounded god-awful the other day. Well, Matthew, uh, that would be because I felt god-awful and was very, very sick. In fact... I kind of got sicker throughout the day. I don't know how many of you have had this where you know your cold is really bad in the morning, but then you kind of you drink your coffee, you know, you get some stuff moving, you get you get things flowing, 
And it's not till later on that day you realize, oh, I'm also exhausted and my entire body and my throat and my head are aching. And that's where I was. Uh, it was it was a challenge to get through this show last week for that last day. I'm so glad, though. I hope you all enjoyed having uh, Lisa Booth in. I'd like to keep you all on your toes and get some some new folks in at the mic uh, on in the Freedom Hut. So I'm hearing good things about Lisa's filling, which makes me very happy. She's a great gal, very talented. You see her on Fox News a lot. And I know the godfather, Michael Palka, hooked it up on Friday, as he always does. So, indeed. Ryan writes, Buck, I listen to your podcast almost every day. A lot of times I'm working in people's homes installing window coverings. It was absolutely hilarious to listen to the Voice of Freedom while MSNBC was blaring in the background. MSNBC really is nonstop hatred of President Trump in the USA. Luckily, here in Idaho, most people are still sane. Keep up the good work. Drink your tea. Get well soon. Ryan. Well, Ryan, thank you. And, and you should all remember that, that you can listen to and therefore carry with you the Freedom Hut, this show, wherever you go, wherever you are. So you've always got a little bit of conservatism stored up and in your pocket whenever you need it. So if you happen to get stuck at a Marxist meditation festival in Silicon Valley, you could just pull out on your smartphone, little little Buck Sexton show, and you know we're going to bring it home. We're going to bring it home. It's going to be all good. Uh, Thomas writes, I do love your show. A note on Bush 41. Given the glowing press he's been receiving after his death, it's easy to forget that President Bush 41 maintained a consistently better than 50% public approval rating until late 1991. In fact, in early 1991, it got up to almost 90%. Is that right before the way? I that find that hard to believe, Thomas, but okay. Uh, then the press turned on him and destroyed him to get Clinton elected. In a year and a half, he went from 89% high to below 30%. I don't know about 89% approval, my friend. I find that. You have to show me some numbers on that. In the 1992 general election, many were saying anybody but Bush, and I believe that was really thanks to the press. Thanks for all you do, Thomas, OSS. Well, Thomas, thank you for writing in. And, and by the way, you could be writing all those poll numbers. I just That's just shockingly high approval. I can't imagine a president at any time having 90% approval. Uh, but as to the media and their treatment of Bush, yeah, there was, a lot, there was a lot of disingenuousness with people who were all of a sudden pretending that they you know, thought Bush was so great. They were so supportive of his more refined and dignified republicanism than what we have now. Uh, but that was mostly just to give them an opportunity, as we know, to bash Trump. That was really what was motivating a lot of the, oh, Bush was so wonderful. And it was definitely the case at the McCain funeral. And look, I very much disagree with the decision that was made at the McCain funeral by some people to use it as a, as a pulpit to attack President Trump. I don't think that when someone looks back on a life like John McCain's, I don't think anybody should think that it has really, that Donald Trump really matters in that hole. But they, they did decide that it mattered. I, I don't know. I thought that was strange. And, and I, I would not have made that decision, that I can say. Also wasn't my decision to make. Caroline, dear Buck, I'm just going to come out and say it. I hate Santa. The elves work all year long producing all these toys. And Santa puts in one hour, uh, one rather, 24-hour shift the whole year and takes all the credit. Kind of like when the tax and spend Democrats congratulate themselves on all the free government goodies while the taxpayer is the one who really produced the wealth. Anyway, Merry Christmas and Shields High, Carolyn. Well, thank you, Marilyn. Uh, Marilyn. Carolyn. Also, it was Marilyn. Um, I like your fun take on Santa. 
And that's, there we go. I'll, I'll leave it there. I agree. Santa, all of a sudden, he shows up. Santa's like the guy who throws an extra $5 on the table when somebody else pays like a for a $200 dinner. But, you know, Santa wants to give a little more tip, so he throws in the five. Those of you who have seen the show Friends know exactly what I'm talking about. That's going to be it for the show today, my friends. Speaking of friends, be back with you tomorrow. I'm back in action this week. Don't worry. Not going to get sick this week. The Buckster is in the saddle. He also refuses to speak in third person after today, I promise. Uh, thanks so much for being back here, team. Um, I'm very excited, as always, to talk to you. And uh, we'll chat more tomorrow. Shields high. I want to introduce you to a new conservative alternative to all those lib email services out there. You know what those lib services do, by the way? They take your email, they scan it, they sell that information to third parties, they track you, they follow you, they know what you're doing online, they're trying to market to you, they're trying to determine what you see. You don't want any of that crap, all right? You want iPatriots.us. It's a secure, private email system that includes more of what you want without all the ad spam and liberal nonsense. You'll get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and much more. Your email and files, uh, files are safe with iPatriots because they're antivirus, anti-spam, and encryption. All right, they're not going to sell your information. They don't support liberal agenda nonsense. iPatriots.us is compatible with most mobile devices, so you're covered there. iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, mobile, all that stuff. All right, go check it out. Show you're a patriot. Go to iPatriots.us. Choose your membership program and input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Enter, this is very important, enter promo code BUCK and you'll get 10% savings during your first full year of membership.